This show furnished by Key Light Counseling Center. Are you looking for an alternative to drug and alcohol rehabilitation that allows you to recover in the privacy of your own home with an individualized program that meets your specific needs? Concierge Detox LA can be that alternative. Headed by medical addiction specialist Dr. Damon Raskin and clinical psychologist Dr. Howard Gloss, Concierge Detox LA will design an individualized program to meet your recovery needs. For more information, contact Concierge Detox LA at 323-935-9712. We'll be receiving valuable advice from our hosts. It does not replace a relationship with a qualified mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. G. I'm Dr. Raskin. And we are here with a solution. Every week we like to look at our world in a deeper and a more psychological and medical point of view. And we like to pose a question to our audience. Our question tonight that we're going to explore with our guest that I will bring on in a moment is... Can hope be found when you're dealing with a serious medical condition? And I know there's a lot of people out there that may relate to that, so this is definitely the show to listen to. We're going to be able to find a solution, dig deeper, and give you, um, through storytelling, some advice on how one can find hope and even uh, flourish both psychologically, spiritually, etc., at times when you're dealing with serious uh, illness. Our number is 1-800-222-5222. You can also email us tonight at engage790 at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at The Dr. G Show on Facebook and Instagram, at Dr. Gloss on Twitter. And you can join us live on Facebook at The Dr. G Show. Our guest tonight is Ian Blake Newham. He's a writer, creator of A Million Words Away. I'm going to bring him on right away, and we're going to listen to how Ian has been able to find hope. I'm going to say Blake, how Blake has been able to find hope when he's dealing with serious illness, and uh, through that has become very creative. He tells a story better than I can ever tell it. So, uh, Blake, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you guys so much. And uh, why don't you share with our audience your story? Well, I was a successful ghostwriter. I still am a successful ghostwriter. I was a professor in the SUNY system. I taught literature, composition, and journalism for about 17 years. And that entire time, I was also editing on the side. And I had a little cancer problem starting in around 1999. Okay. So I was dealing with that at the same time, and it's it's pretty great to be a professor and a writer when you have cancer because it's you don't have to be at work every single day. You have summers <laughs> off. You have Christmas. So I was dealing with it kind well, of right on away. A, you found something positive in having absolutely uh, cancer. You get days off that maybe can't, you wouldn't can't expect. say enough about it. Right. Um, however, in 2015. The cancer had been in a number of different places by then. It started in the thyroid. There was a little worry about the spine. There was some concern about the colon. I had seven, 16 surgeries at that point, and I was still managing to work these three full-time jobs. And then I got a diagnosis that it was in my brain. Uh, I had an oligodendroglioma, it's called, in the left frontal lobe, and it was sitting right on language expression. And that's a pretty... Ironic situation yeah, pretty your career. Exactly. Pretty terrible wake-up call. Not that I would wish blindness on anyone, but I thought to myself, like, well, isn't this on the optic nerve? I could live with that. Right. Why am I going? I mean, it's a pretty scary thought to be a writer where all my entire identity was actually based upon language. 
as a professor, as an editor. Uh, I was typically the, it's going to sound like I've got a big ego, but just because of my ability to articulate and my ability to use words, I tended to be the smartest person in most rooms I was in, or at least I could BS my way through feeling that way. And that was my entire identity. I was a word guy. I was a word guy. My brother was a math guy. I was the word guy. And so to have that threatened, because pretty uh, long before this tumor kills me, it's going to it's going to take away my ability to speak and to write. So as a therapist, I'm going to ask you right off the bat, and then I want Dr. Uh, Raskin to comment a little bit about sure. cancer so our audience understands it a little bit more from a medical point of view. Uh, what are the feelings come up? What feelings come up for you when you say, you know, I'm going to lose my ability to write and speak? The thing that you base your whole identity on, much of your identity on. Well, I have a very healthy adaptive function called total dissociation. Okay. So I can I can have a conversation like that without actually feeling it. Kind of a potential benefit, but ultimately it's a potential problem. Um, it's <clears throat> the first feeling I had was not oh my God, I'm going to die. It was not, I'm going to lose people. It was only, oh my God, no one's ever going to read my books. No one will ever know the real me because this entire time there were two me's. There were two Blake's. One was the person who was out socializing, the person who was teaching my students and editing and working with amazing authors, writing and editing their books. And the other was the secret me because no one had ever read my fiction before. So I had been working pretty steadily since I was a kid on writing books and short stories and everything else, but nobody knew those stories, those characters. I lived my entire life in that zone, but no one ever knew about it. And that's, why do you think you? What do you think happened to you that you needed? Do you feel like you needed a crisis to basically come out as your true self? What I would like to say to the audience is, don't wait for that. Don't wait for that that diagnosis like I got. Assume the tumor. Assume that anvils can fall out of the sky. Assume that buildings could, you know, planes could crash into your building like they did for my brother on September 11th. You you have to assume did, did your that your brother survived. My brother survived, but barely, and he was never the same again. Okay. Um, you should assume that life is a deadline business, and don't wait to do those things that you have to do now. I think that's such a powerful message. I do too. I think that's probably one of the most powerful messages I want our audience to hear. That, you know, people put off things. I hear that from patients all the time. You know, they put off things or, you know, they feel they can't write because they're not ready yet or they don't have the time. and Or they don't feel they're good enough. Or they feel they're good enough. Right. And, um, you know, just do it. Just go for it. Just start it right now. Um, so our number is 1-800-222-5222. You can email us at engage790 at gmail.com. If you want to ask myself, Dr. Raskin, or Blake any questions, we'd love to hear from you or share your stories with us. Dr. Raskin, why don't you take over as far as explaining sort of the medical side of what Blake is well, doing? Well, sure. With. Well, what people can't see is that um, I'm looking here at Blake, and Blake's a pretty young guy. And I think that, you know, a lot of people get these terrible illnesses when they're older, and it, it's sort of a little bit more easy to accept that diagnosis. But, Blake, how old are you now? I'm 50. So you're only 50. That means you started to get cancer when you were? 28. 
28 years old and that must have been pretty shocking because in your in your 20s you're just you know trying to enjoy life you're still uh just trying to explore who you are and and you know making friends probably the farthest thing from your mind dating and and all of this kinds of stuff and so i just am curious how this all happened in your 20s what happened um i had a hard fixed lump underneath my right jawbone and I was blessed enough to have been studying in England at the University of Manchester where they have socialized medicine. So I was able to get an appointment, except the appointment was eight months down the line. Yep, that's the problem <laughs> with socialized medicine. That's hey, I'm from Canada. But you know what? You get care eventually, and if there's a crisis, a lot of times you get care right, right away. Right. Well, this and was nobody not, has refused. This was not a crisis. Um, so I wound up coming home, and I was still under my parents' insurance. I was 20 seven, 26 at the time. And I, it had never moved. It had never grown. It wasn't causing pain, but it was a hard fixed lump. Right. And I went to an otolaryngologist, an ear, nose and throat guy. And he said, oh, this thing has to come out. Um, I was a teacher at the time. And he said, you need to do it right away. And I said, can we wait till the summer? And he said, "Uh, I would suggest let's not wait. Right. And as it turns out, that was, that was cancerous. And it was a two component tumor and there was a tumor growing behind it that I couldn't see and couldn't feel. Hmm. And it was very close to a whole bunch of very important stuff like the like the jugular. Right. And unfortunately, that surgery had various complications, and I wound up needing a bunch more and ultimately got what's called a radical neck dissection, which my brother calls the Colombian necktie, um, which is like a 10-inch incision from ear to ear. And they took out the thyroid. They took out the jugular chain of lymph nodes. They took out the hyoid bone, which is the... For the audience, the kind of um, wishbone-shaped thing that snaps when you get throttled. Yeah. Um, they took out a bunch of adipose tissue, fatty tissue, and sure enough, there was cancer in all those different places. And that was uh, that was shocking and pretty terrible, and the recovery was pretty awful. And I, I'm, I'm making some assumptions, but I'm sure the doctor said that there was no real cause, right? right. That this was just simply bad luck. Right. My my mother wanted to know the cause. It's my fault. What did I do? Um, I, I did a lot of research. This was pre pre major internet, but I was able to to get a bunch of information. I found the best doctors. Um, I got them to compete for my case. They did it for free. There were only six hundred cases of my type of cancer in the whole medical literature. Wow! So that was amazing. Um, and I got a great surgery at Long Island Jewish Hospital. And ultimately, it was considered idiopathic. They don't know. They don't right. understand the reason why. Now that I've had a completely different type of cancer also in my head and neck in the brain the thyroid cancer was papillary the um the brain cancer is an oligodendroglioma yeah which means just for the audience it means that this is a primary brain tumor that this has nothing to do with your prior cancer it just seems like wow now you have another cancer exactly. that formed not a spread of an of, of the thyroid cancer but a exactly. completely different separate cancer on its own right. so how do you get to that place you know i'm thinking of a patient patients i've seen that have some serious medical illnesses cancer etc and um there are times when there's just a lot of self-pity and feeling sorry for themselves and feeling like uh especially younger people yeah, that why they've been me? cheated in yeah. life and why me and i'm curious you know what what has been your process because i look at you and you're so positive and you know, you must have had to have gone through a lot. Yeah. To have you get been to this. always like this? Or, <laughs> right. yeah. You just must. And I think it's important for our audience to hear that. We have a minute before the commercial. But um, help inspire us. Like, what, what has that process been like for you? 
Let's talk after the break because it's a longer answer. But I'll I say, yeah, I'll say to answer. you that I think that cancer is a gift. Okay. I think that cancer is a blessing. I think that cancer is an opportunity. And I think that I'm not encouraging people to go out and get it. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying when you do get it, if you look at it in the right way, it's an opportunity to live life with a sense of urgency to to do the things you need to do. And I think that's the message you're trying to give to all of us. That's yeah. The first message is don't wait till some sort of catastrophe happens exactly. in your life or something critical. Live your yeah. life with urgency right now. Right. I'm Dr. G. We're going to be back right after the commercials. You're listening to The Solution with Dr. G and Dr. Damon Raskin. I'm Dr. G. I'm Dr. Raskin. And we're here with The Solution. And the question we're asking tonight is, can you find hope when you're dealing with a serious medical condition? And uh, our number is 1-800-222-5222. You can email us at engage790 at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at The Dr. G Show on Facebook and Instagram and at Dr. Glass on Twitter. You can also join us live stream on Facebook at The Dr. G Show. You know, a lot of times we have people on here and they've written self-help books or inspirational books, and they can sort of inspire us to a certain extent. But every once in a while, we're blessed to have the real thing. Someone who their own life struggles has been able to be this incredible inspiration. And I, if this is something you want to hear, you really need to tune in right now because uh, Ian Blake Newman is really the real thing. And his life has been probably for the last 25 years both incredible, inspirational, a struggle, etc. And what he's going to do right now, he's going to share with us about his own process as to how he's gotten to really the place he is right now where he could say things like, cancer has been a blessing in my life. So Ian uh, Blake Newham, why don't you take over? So in a short period of time, Dr. Raskin asked me whether or not I'd been through some stuff. The answer is yes, I've been through some stuff. Yeah. Um, you guys are pros. You can see it on my face. <clears throat> I sit here right now. I've got a, a severe chronic pain in my head spinal pain, a broken foot, digestive distress, but what are my choices? What do I do? I either bang my head against a wall, knock myself unconscious, or I live my life, right? So I'm not saying I don't get depressed, because I do, but what I've found above all else is that purpose is medicine. Purpose is medicine. Um, I'm doing NaNoWriMo right now, the National Novel Writers Month, and with another 600,000 people, I'm writing a book this month. And I noticed that a lot of those people are dealing with struggles, especially depression. What I find is that when I'm writing, when I'm, when I'm writing my own work or editing my own work, I have a purpose. I'm trying to get a message across to an audience. I'm trying to leave a legacy. I'm trying to do the best I can at my art. I don't think about those things, just like I'm not thinking about them now. I'm in a flow state. And so purpose is medicine. So within a short period of time, I was... Um, abandoned, I was fired, I was cuckolded, I was orphaned, I was falsely accused, I got this this essentially terminal diagnosis, I was divorced. So my choices are either jump off a bridge or find a purpose. And what is that purpose that you've been able to find? So I would teach all my composition students, I gave them a paper on the first day, and I asked them, what one thing, if you did it well and did it consistently, would dramatically improve the quality of your life? That was their final paper. 
what one thing, if you did it well and did it consistently, would dramatically improve the quality of your life. So when all this stuff happened to me, instead of getting down, I thought, well, everybody knows the answer to that question. It's get divorced. It's go back to school. It's leave school. It's, it's tell her you love her. It's whatever that thing is. It's put down the Oreos, maybe. Whatever it is, we all know it. But paradoxically, through some weird psychological, I don't know what, we don't do that one thing. And so I thought this is an urgent opportunity, a blessing in disguise for me to do that one thing. And I know what that one thing is. The and, one thing I want to do is write. And tell us, because you have been writing before as a ghostwriter. Yeah. So how, what was that shift? Tell our audience what you've decided to do. Um, well, I've had an amazing career as a ghostwriter. I couldn't be more blessed. I, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. I've written for doctors, for celebrities, for uh, sports people, for politicians mostly. I did a lot in medicine and politics. And I could think of no more amazing job. But what I, the unfortunate thing is I sublimated my own uh, needs. Expression, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, never, I never gave voice to my own feelings, my own beliefs, my own stories, my own uh, concepts, my own um, meaning of life. Instead, I helped other people bring their voices to a mass market. And that I'm grateful for that, incredibly grateful. And I'm still doing some of that. But I think this is one of the reasons why I happened to the universe gave me cancer specifically on the language expression center because I was never expressing what I really wanted to express. Hmm. And do you feel that, let's say, you say that purpose is medicine. So going along with your theory, do you feel that um, by expressing yourself the truth about who you are through your writing, that that could be uh, helpful, let's say, in, in prolonging your health? I mean, I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but I'm wondering... Even the quality of your life. Well, I think I think what science think, doc, so I think science has shown that having a positive outlook is definitely a way of dealing with this in a, in a and has positive outcomes. I absolutely uh, know that that's true, and I see that with my patients as well with with these severe diagnoses like this. What do you feel, Blake? I think that it's incontrovertible, and I've had experience with it, and I've written about it, and I've seen it a yeah. million times, and I've talked to to doctors. I believe that there is an there is a direct link between attitude and outcomes. Oh, yeah. Um, and even if there isn't, even if it's not outcomes, it's quality of life, as you mentioned, Dr. G. During the time that I'm alive, I hope that I have a long time, but I, but I can't wait to find out whether I do or I don't. So I want to do the things I want to do. I want to answer that question about that what one thing, and I want to have purpose and meaning to my life, and I want to do it beyond just an immediate circle because I feel like I've been put on earth to to write and I, I wasn't really doing it the way I needed to do it. You know, there is this whole theory in psychology about the true self and the false self. And the concept is that a lot of times we create this false self to the world because it's what we feel we need to do, the person we are supposed to be versus the person that we truly are. And I've seen in my own clinical experience, many times when people come in, they spend their lives being that false self. They're facing issues like depression, anxiety, uh, drug and alcohol abuse. And through the process of, of finding the courage to be able to express themselves, find that true meaning. And this is a difficult process for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're maybe not as 
uh, you know, sufficient with words the way you are, but finding that thing, that thing that makes them want to get up in the morning and create a life for themselves can be very powerful in that expression of true self. So I would say that to the audience, again, one of the most important things in finding hope is finding something that you want to get up for in the morning that gives you hope. And usually it's something that excites you that you can create a life around. Right. And, uh, what do you think, Doc? That's probably some of the best medicine. I, I think it is. I mean, you know, I have a lot of patients uh, in my own practice who deal with severe chronic pain. Um, they also deal with diagnoses that a lot of people don't believe, things like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. They wake up every day feeling like they just want to sleep all day. Yeah. Or patients with severe depression who just basically feel like they can't function and they've tried 18 different antidepressants. So these people are losing hope. And I think that these messages really can come across for these types of patients um, that there there can be hope that there is a purpose out there for them if they just have to find it. So if you want to call in and uh, ask any of us uh, any questions or tell your own story about how you found hope in your own life, dealing with really any issue, we'd love to hear about that process. Our number is 1-800-222-5222. You can also email us at engage790 at gmail.com. And Blake, why don't you share with our audience uh, your work at A Million Words Away and explain to us exactly what that is. Well, this is a very audacious plan of mine. To, I love it. Yeah, I think it's great. <laughs> to write 12... I'm going to count every word, you know. you got to get at least I'm counting. Believe me, I'm counting. Um, to write one million words in one year in 12 books, one book a month. So it's 12 books in 12 months versus one And this is not you being a ghostwriter. This is my own stuff. It is my own story, my own settings, my own novels, all of them fiction. And in every one, I'm collaborating with another artist, with another great artist. Um, they're all different genres. They're all different formats. They all have a different collaborator. And it launches officially on December 1st. And you've already planned out all of like, Do you already have in your head? Yes, the, not, just, not just my head, because my head doesn't work so much mm -hmm. anymore. It's kind of a sieve. <laughs> I have to use a pretty complex uh, architectural planning programs to do it. But, yeah, it's 12 books. I know what all of them are going to be. I've sketched them out. They're outlined. In mm. some cases, I have drafts already. In some cases, it's just an outline. In some cases, I have um, notes. And in every case, I've got um, – they're, they're all interconnected in some way. It's a major undertaking, but it's – it's. And I definitely want to, want to hear a lot more about that when we get back. But what I, I – I love about what you said is, you know what? I have this challenge about around my memory, so I've created the system about how I can do it. I haven't given in to that. So for a lot of people out there that are facing challenges, um, you know, you can find adaptations to it, and it's all about getting really creative. But yeah. it's all about wanting to find that reason to have hope and give up and yeah. give and not give up. That's right. That's the most important thing. I'm Dr. G. We're going to be back right after the commercials. ABC. You're listening to The Solution with Dr. G and Dr. Damon Raskin. I'm Dr. G. I'm Dr. Raskin. And we are here with The Solution. And the question we're asking tonight, and we already have the answer, so I'm going to phrase it not, can you find hope dealing with a medical, a serious medical condition like cancer? The answer is, how do you find hope? And there's no one more qualified than to tell us that answer than Ian Blake Newham. He has decided to uh, battle his cancer with a very lofty goal, and he's going to be writing 12 books 
In 12 weeks. <laughs> I just want you to write faster. Done. Done and done. Done and done and done. Uh, you'll, just, you'll just Xerox and photocopy That's each right. book and change right. the cover. Right. And hope they never open it And a couple it up. of character names. Right. Um, but why 12 books in 12 months? Oh, hey. That's, such a, <clears throat> that's such a good question. Um, number one, because there's too much there's too much in my head. It won't be enough to get out in one book. And number two, I realized I have enough. I realized this after both my parents died within eight days of each other last year. And they were wonderful and they left they left a legacy, a nearby legacy among the people that they knew. For me, that's not enough. I, I need to reach a much bigger audience. And I, I don't I don't think that one book would be enough to do that. I've been writing for a long time and I have lots of stories and lots of ideas and all kinds of a complex uh, novels in my head that they, they all need to come out. And I Do you feel like you're trying to uh, attach in a greater and greater way to the world by reaching all these different audiences? And in some ways, you had said earlier on, leave a legacy all, uh, and a mark with all these different groups of people. I'm trying to attach a little more than I did because, you know, you clean out somebody's house who dies, you throw out 95% of their stuff and then you, I don't know, they're in your memory. That's not enough for me. I need to, I need to connect. I need to leave a legacy. I need to do the thing. I need to live up to the blessing of my consciousness. I've got a consciousness. I've got a talent. I've got words now and there is no reason for me not to do this. I just don't have that much time anymore. I'm kind of there's a deadline. And the words are precious. Words are very precious. Right. Yeah. Words are precious. I don't take them for granted. You know, it's amazing. We we've this is like grunting and squeaking noises and yet we're painting pictures in people's heads or making them think of certain things that we 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 don't give any credit to the amazing astounding miracle that is think about that i mean meaning might be loose but yet we can do it we're not even in front of people they're not even watching our body language we can you know i can say pink elephant and they're going to think of a pink elephant how is that possible that yeah. we do that through a squiggle on a page or something so until you're until you're about to lose that you take it entirely for granted I want uh, our audience to really, I want people to call in and be able to talk to Blake. Our number is 1-800-222-5222. You can email us at engage790 at gmail.com. I have to tell you, Blake, my experience when I listen to you is in some ways I'm just mesmerized. I'm in such awe and respect for you for everything that you're doing. Thank you. And the inspiration that I hope you can give to other people, whether they're listening to the show or I know already you've been an inspiration to some of the people working here at the station that are trying to get their loved ones to call in and hear this show that are dealing with cancer. So... Um, I agree. It's about really understanding that we do take so much for granted. We do. And uh, we just have, you know... Bad days sometimes where we just don't want to, you know, do do life. And uh, and here we're hearing such the opposite when you don't have that luxury of of time or wasting a day or two just feeling bad or whatnot. And I think that's the inspiring message of today. You know, yeah. And out of those twelve books, exactly. And out of those twelve books, Blake. So I people probably ask you this question all the time too. Do you have? one or two or some that are just so much more important to you than others of what you're trying to say with yourself and with your life? 
I try to write books that I would have liked to have read and that I would still like to read. So I'm really writing for myself more than other people. And so they're all important to me. But the first two in the series, I think, are particularly um, meaningful to me. The first one um, is called Healing Star, and it's a love triangle. I know you guys just did a did a show on throubles. We, we did. <laughs> we did. Um, set during the Revolutionary War. You probably didn't cover no, that. We did not. There, it's a very specific so subgenre. So it about polyamorous relationships in the Revolutionary War? It's about polyamorous and, and multi-generational and multi-ethnic relationships during the Revolutionary War. Okay. And for me, it was a real breakthrough because my work tended to be extra intellectual and wordy, let's call it, um, and difficult. Literary is the polite way of saying that. And I would get rejected pretty frequently from top agents and top uh, critics. They would always compliment my work and say, well, look, we can't publish it. It's too difficult. And so this this book, Healing Star, was a real breakthrough for me. It was simple. It is um, – it's it's a fable. It's kind of like people are compa- comparing it to The Alchemist by, by Paulo Coelho. So it's written in that kind of style. And then the second book, which is very difficult and long and amazing, is a big family – saga and epic about elephants called the elephant's eye and those two i think are the reason why i'm making them first one and two is because they're meaningful to me and and tell me a little bit more about the elephant's eye well i did some i you asked me why i'm writing 12 books and why so audacious a plan i don't do anything small so when i recovered from my first cancer bout uh i had a spinal surgery one of my spinal surgeries i got the one in a thousand infections and i couldn't walk for almost a year and when I trained myself to walk and came up with a bunch of other accommodations and I had a spinal stimulator installed and then taken out, I decided that to prove that I could walk, I was going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in the winter with no equipment. Um, so How, 20, did, that how did that go? I was gonna, um, <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Ruskin. It sucked and <laughs> okay. it was glorious. Like the rest you of made life, it. but I made it. I was going to say it's such a metaphor for, the re- for life. <laughs> I it? made it. You know? I made it in eight days. Um, my my insulin pump froze. It was twenty below zero. Um, I was puking the whole time. Um, it was it was incredible though. And while I was there in Africa, I met with a amazing um, elephant rescue place called the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, and I did some elephant rescue and I learned a lot about elephants and had amazing access to their field work there. And so I decided that I would write a book about elephants. So you're basically living. Almost like a fuller life than most people would live you Six know, in lives. 80 years. Yeah. It's a dream. Yeah. I've always done that. Okay. So and it's now, kind of, and now you, even more. Come back to, you've, it's compact now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a sports car. Exactly. But I have to say it's been more – this is interesting maybe from the psychological perspective. It's been much more traumatic for me to deal with the concept of, well, what if I live a while longer than to deal with – Hey Blake, don't buy any more green bananas because you know you're you're going out pretty quick. I mean, that the, I, that I handled yeah. much better. I mean, most people get up and they do their routine every day. They sort of just live their life and do their routine. Um, how, how do you make peace with the thought of you know thinking that you know one day you may get up and not be able to speak, or or uh, you know I'm I'm just curious because again. I think this is so important for people to hear people's stories and what they've been through and how they deal with their lives so they can sort of heal and inspire themselves. 
I've never been asked that question before, and it's a terrifying question. I think the answer to the question is in what I'm doing. I won't need to speak. I won't need to talk trivialities. I won't need to talk about, you know, what's on television or whether or not the the oranges are in the refrigerator or on the table. If I can get out all of this stuff soon, the 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 things that are most important for me to say, my beliefs about the world and and this meaning. You know, my favorite writer is is Flaubert, and he said this amazing thing in Madame Bovary. It's my favorite quote of all time that language is a cracked kettle on which we beat out tunes for dancing bears when we would move the stars to pity. I want to move the stars to pity with these books so that I don't have to bang out tunes So is there anything bears. we can do to help you in this process and support you in this process? Absolutely. Books need writers, obviously, but they're meaningless without readers. So I need readers. Okay. So, makes, sense. <laughs> makes sense, yeah. Makes yeah. sense. You so, need an audience. Yeah. So you guys can find me on a millionwordsaway.com or on patreon.com forward slash a million words away. There's all kinds of different ways of subscribing and getting the information. Um, it's going to be 12 books. They're going to come out in a collector's box. They come out once a month. They'll come out in ebook form. The first two are already out in ebook form. I'm working on the third now, which is a series of interlinked novellas about Native American myths, um, two spirit myths mostly. And um, yeah. And and what about the people around you? You know, how has it affected your relationship, both maybe a personal relationship and also, let's say, your relationship with your family? Well, through this process, I got divorced from my very long-term partner, and it was for a lot of different reasons. But nothing. There's this is a this is a, almost a cliche story about how often this kind of thing happens. There's a tragedy, and you wind up not getting stronger. But through it, I found uh, a new partner who has been uh, amazing, and he understands he understands the disability. If I had lost a leg, if I had a giant scar across my face, it would be obvious, and people would be more patient, perhaps. Once my hair grew back and my scar got covered over, yeah. and because I can still speak, people don't believe me when I say I can't remember or I... I I'm confused or I I can't figure out how to program my car, you know, uh, clock. Um, and I have a partner now who gets that and who 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 understands that we have to compensate for each other. And he's willing to do that kind of stuff without complaint. And, 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 and with a lot of empathy, with empathy is amazing. And I, I find that people will people will people take their cues on how to deal with people with cancer from what their attitude is. So if you're immediately upbeat and if you use a little humor or the tumor, they'll do that same thing. And then eventually you'll you'll resent them and you'll be like, did these people not realize what I'm going through? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, you, you did name your tumor Ollie, didn't you? <laughs> uh, yes, my, my oligodendroglioma is named Ollie. It's because I don't see him as an enemy. I don't, I'm, he's not, I'm not fighting him. I'm not so a victim you've, of him. So you've embraced it. Yeah, he, we're, we're living, we're, we're going through this stuff together. Do you think, Dr. Raskin, in the healing process, that this idea to not fight your illness but actually embrace it can well, have an effect, uh, you know, in the outcome? Yeah, I think it can. And I think that it's just an amazing attitude that I, that I haven't heard very often. A, a lot of my patients with these types of diagnoses are actually talking about fighting it and um, and enemies with it rather than embracing then it. Making and friends not seeing it. it as an opportunity for good, but but seeing it as something that they have to get over and and want to get over 
And I think this offers a new perspective and a new way of seeing something that was never thought of before. And I think that that really does provide hope, which is the message of tonight. You know, again, we're going to go to a break, but this concept that you can make friends with your illness, uh, you can make friends with cancer, embrace it and work with it. Like you said, even the use of language is so different than I'm going to fight my illness right. versus I'm going to yeah. make friends with Ollie and see how Ollie reacts and yeah. if we can maybe right. come up with some sort of agreement. And it doesn't mean that you don't want to overcome. Exactly. It just means that you're not going to be constantly in a battle. Right. And I wonder how, again, i got to go to break, but... I don't know the research on this, but I'm sure there's research. I mean, I don't know the exact research, but there's research out there that the stress levels in your body must go down. Oh, ab- you're not absolutely. Finding, That's yeah. incontrovertible. I agree with that. Well, why don't yeah. you tell us more when we get back from the break? I want our audience to hear that. I'm Dr. G. We're going to be back right after the commercials. I'm Dr. G. I'm Dr. Raskin. And we're here with Solution. And what we've discovered is there are definitely ways to find hope when you're dealing with a serious illness like Cancer, Ian Blake Newman, Newham has been able to uh, sort of shed light on some of that in a very inspirational way. If you want to call in, our number is 1-800-222-5222. You can also reach us at engage790 at gmail.com. Before I bring Blake back on, I want to mention Sand and Shores PR. Uh, they are one of our amazing sponsors, and if you're trying to get uh, to know a PR agency that can tell your story in a powerful and effective way, a story that deals with real lives and establish a stronger connection with your target audience, grow your business or public image in an authentic and powerful way, you've got to get in touch with Tanya at Sand and Shores PR. She's a master at media, community relations, and client service. Services that sandandshores.com. Tanya McKenzie, 424-262-1920. That's 424-262-1920. And we're blessed to have her uh, sponsoring our show. Dr. Raskin, before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about stress and how it relates to illness. Yeah. And I thought you could just, uh, you know, uh, dig deeper a little bit with that. Well, sure. Well, in, in a simplistic medical way, stress and anger and these types of feelings will increase your cortisol. Cortisol is a hormone produced in your adrenal glands. And actually it has a, uh, you know, it's an important thing for fight or flight. You know, when you have an emergency, you get this cortisol and you have to leave. But when you have this chronic levels of elevated cortisol, it can really suppress your immune system. And it's actually our immune system that obviously helps us fight off not only infections, but can also help us fight off cancer. So bottom line is if you're still at a very elevated level of stress and you have a chronically elevated level of this hormone, it's going to be very difficult to fight off some of these types of illnesses. Now, the $64,000 question is, can excess of cortisol, can stress, anger, hatred, other kinds of internal states cause cancer or exacerbate it? I think that is a very, very good question that we don't have the answers to. But do do you... I don't know. In my, I'm just going by my own clinical experience, being a psychologist for many, many years. I have noticed that um, I don't know if stress can cause cancer. Like let's I don't think anyone really does. I don't think really. Yeah. But I definitely see some sort of difference in people that have been able to find what Blake was talking about, a purpose, and find some reason to get up and want a purpose for their lives and how to 
really go out there and ironically sort of shine when they're dealing with serious illness and shine on a personal level. It seems like those people have better a, outcomes. I think they do. Outcomes. Yeah, I think or, they or, do. Or at least a better quality of life. Absolutely. And that's, you know, absolutely to me what it's all about. Um, so, Blake, you know, what advice would you give to others who are managing similar situations, especially in trying to maintain their hope? I would say to not become a victim. To It's very easy to succumb to fear very quickly. And even I, I've been a medical writer. I have, um, I'm a kind of expert on some of these topics. And when I get a new diagnosis, you, it's at first terrifying. And so you just want to do what a doctor says. And But I would advise people not to just lie down, prostrate in front of their doctors and say, please help me, doc. Because it's your body, it's your life, it's your karma, it's your responsibility to take care of yourself. And I think that if you are empowered enough to know that you have choices, and I'm not saying don't listen to your doctors. I've been saved a thousand times by doctors and nurses and um, What both. about you had mentioned before at the break? What about psychotherapy? How has that played into this process for you? In terms of maintaining hope, which is, I know is a, a, a huge topic for you guys, I, there's no way that I could do that without the help of good psychotherapy. It, for, in my case, specifically cognitive behavior therapy and even more specific than that, rational emotive behavior therapy, um, but all kinds of different therapies to talk about past trauma, to talk about feelings, a dispassionate professional person with empathy who has your number. I said before, you can use power, you can use language as a weapon to kind of overpower people. And so I'm with a therapist now who is far younger than I am, who who doesn't know as much as I do about certain things. And immediately she had my number. She knew that. And I just felt immediately safe. I didn't have to be this false self anymore. I can really be the, the real me. So I couldn't do it without. It was actually mandated at Sloan Kettering where I had a Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Hospital in New York City where I had my craniotomy because I was having some mood disorder problems after my surgery, especially with anger management. And so they recommended uh, two kinds of therapy. And I've been in it ever since for the past five years. I think years. that's great advice. I think yeah. that um, I will definitely be able to, to use that as a, as a message for a lot of my patients who are dealing with chronic illnesses. It doesn't have to be just cancer. I was thinking about patients in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease, patients with the early stages of other chronic illnesses like heart disease and lung disease, um, kidney disease that's going to be progressive, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, th I think that, um, you know, I'm just going to share this with you. You know, before I came onto the show, I was sharing with our producer on the show that I had a really difficult day. I had some difficult patients. I was expecting to have the day off and take it easy, and that's the last thing that happened. And I was really stressed out. And as I listen to you and I go through this show, um, the experience I'm having is it's not – I'm feeling so inspired, but what it's been able to make me do is um, sort of clear the space – and listen to you and sit with you and allow you to inspire me and allow you to remind me of the things that are important in life. And I want our audience to hear that too, that uh, you know, everybody struggles out there with difficult days and difficult times. And being able to connect to someone like you 
it brings us sort of back to our sanity. Yeah. I think it's just a whole perspective changer. Yeah. You know, really just gives you a whole different change. And I know it's always change. there. Yeah. But it sort of brings us back. Yeah. And so I want to thank you for that. I agree. And um, if you want, you know, we have a few minutes left. If you want to talk to Blake, the number is 1-800-222-5222. And you can email us at engage790 at gmail.com. So, Blake, I want to make sure with the time we have left um, that you don't leave this place saying, you know, I wish I would have talked about this, so we didn't have time to talk about that. So I want to give you some floor space to be able to express something that you want to share that we haven't been able to discuss yet. At the risk of losing some of the audience, I'm going to talk about how I think that I think that unresolved trauma and I think that lack of forgiveness and I think that lack of being true to oneself in my case is a potential contributor to to why I've got cancer. I'm not saying that's true for everybody, um, but I but I think strongly about this karma case for me. You can't plant an apple seed and get an apricot tree. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I think that this is a gift. It's a reminder to let some of that stuff go and to seize the day and to not wait for the end to live the kind of life I want to live, as I said, to, to live you know, up to the gift of my consciousness. I love that, the, the gift of your consciousness. And, you know, it might sound like a cliche, but wake up in the morning and remind yourself when you're having those struggles, if you're pursuing a dream, and dreams are never easy to create, it's always, right. you know, 12 books in, in 12 <laughs> months is not, and we want to support you here on the show with that. It's so not what everyone's going to do. No, no, but we're going to pledge to... Uh, every time you have a book that you're about to publish, please awesome. let us know. And I we'll love be definitely be able to share that information. I love it. And I hope we'll be able to get to, you know, 48 books in 48 months. <laughs> that would so be awesome. That would be awesome. Blake, I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on yes, the show. Yes, I really appreciate it as well. And thank you, I, guys. I know that to answer, we answered our question a long time ago. There's definitely hope. Absolutely. And, and what the hope is about finding that true self. And finding ways to be able to express it. And that seems to be the thing that's keeping you going. So I want to encourage you more and more to do that. I can't wait to Thank you. read the books. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, to read the first book. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I am very excited too. I'm Dr. G. I'm Dr. Damon Raskin. And we'll be back next week. This show furnished by Key Light Counseling Center.